Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I hope you're well. I'm doing okay. I'm a little sore from my ballet classes, but that's not a bad thing. I haven't done a tour jeté in, I don't know, a decade or two. It's nice to know that I can still do them, even if they aren't quite as pretty as when I was younger. Anyway, I'm not kicking the furniture, so I'm not doing them totally wrong. Uh, But this isn't a podcast about ballet. Um, There may have been some dancing on the Greek stage, but classical ballet came about much later. And we do have another Greek tragedy um, today. It's, It's another not really tragic play from Euripides. Um, But there were only two types of plays in uh, ancient Greece. It was either a comedy or a tragedy. And since this is definitely not a comedy, that means that it must be a tragedy. Today's play is Helen. It is from around 412 BCE and premiered at Dionysia, where it won the usual nothing because Euripides simply wasn't appreciated in his time. And this one, it's a little weird, um, but we've seen a hint of the story it tells in Euripides' Electra. You may recall that at the end of that play, it's revealed that Helen was never in Troy in the first place. Um, She was in Egypt the entire time. And that is the version of the story that Euripides tells in today's play. Um, we've seen a lot of Helen already in both the Iliad and the Odyssey, and even even in Euripides. Um, so he, he is his plays that include Helen it, use two different versions of of the myth. Um, the Iliad and the Odyssey predate Euripides by a few centuries, um, and at some point between Homer and Euripides, this new idea of a phantom Helen being carried off to Troy and the real Helen being transported to Egypt came along. So this play is set in Egypt, and it features some familiar characters, Helen and Menelaus, of course, um, and Teucer or Teucros, depending on your translation, um, whom you may recall as the hotshot archer from the Iliad. Um, he's in, in this play as well. Uh, the Dioscori, Castor and uh, Polydukes, um, Helen's brothers, um, that they appear kind of as a single entity um, as opposed to as two separate characters. Anyway, um, so the, the Dioscori enter together. Um, not sure exactly how that worked with the number of actors. Um, there are two Egyptian characters, however, who are new to us, uh, Theonoe and Theoclymenus. Um, they are the daughter and son of Proteus, who was Helen's protector in Egypt until he unfortunately died, um, which has happened before the play begins. Um, we have the usual assortment of servants and messengers, and the chorus consists of captive women from Sparta. So why Sparta? Well, you know, that's where Helen and Menelaus are from, so it makes sense. I somehow do not own a copy of this play, much to my surprise. I, I mean, I, seriously, I went through all of my books of Euripides' plays multiple times because I was sure it was in one of them. Nope, none of them. None of them include it um, for some reason. So um, today I'm working from the E.P. Coleridge translation that is freely available online. And with that, we'll take a short break before going through the plot.
clay opens in Egypt. Uh, we're near the mouth of the Nile, so close to um, close to the Mediterranean, and in front of Theoclymenus's palace. Proteus's tomb is also visible, and Helen stands near the tomb and delivers the prologue, starting with a history of the setting. Uh, Proteus was the king before he died. He married uh, Samathi, a sea nymph, and they had two children, a son named Theoclymenus and a daughter who was called Edo when she was young, but now she goes by Theonoe. Uh, Theoclymenus means reverence for the gods, and Theonoe means knowledge of the gods. Basically, it's not exact, but close enough. Um, What matters is that... Uh, Theonoe now has the gift of prophecy, um, something that she got from Grandpa Nereus, that sea god who is uh, Samathi's um, father. Anyway, Helen then finally gets around to talking about her part in the story. She's from Sparta. Her father is Tyndareus. Maybe. Um, there is also this story that Zeus took the form of a swan and spent some time with her mom, Leda. So so that may be true, too. Zeus might be her father. Um, she's really pretty. Uh, and that has just caused so much trouble. You see, Hera, Aphrodite, and Athena went to Mount Ida to see Paris and asked him to be the judge of their beauty contest. And Aphrodite offered up Helen if she won. And Paris took that deal and then went to Sparta to marry her. Now, since Helen was already married, this really pissed Hera off. So Hera made a phantom Helen, and that's the Helen that Paris married. And Zeus loved this because it gave him an excuse to stir up trouble and get the Greeks to go to war so that the greatest of all of them could become famous, Um, which seems like a really lousy reason to go to war. Uh, And so Helen's name became the cause of this war, but it wasn't really Helen because Hermes whisked the real Helen away to Egypt. And and, I mean, it really, it it was all good for Helen. Um, Proteus was really good to her, Um, but then he died. And now Theoclymenus has decided that he wants to marry her, even though she wishes to wait for her real husband, Menelaus, and that's why she's here at Proteus's tomb. It's the only place she's found where she can have sanctuary from Theoclymenus's advances. Teucer enters. He asks who is in charge and comments that the woman he's talking to looks an awful lot like Helen. I mean, if he didn't know exactly where Helen is, he'd think that she was Helen, and he would have shot her. I mean, the Greeks hate Helen. Helen asks who he is, and Teucer introduces himself. His father is Telamon, he's from Salamis, and he is now in exile since his brother, Big Ajax, threw himself on his sword. Um, a story you should recall from Sophocles' Ajax. Uh, Teucer fills in the details for Helen about Achilles' armor and how Odysseus won it, um, how Troy's been defeated, but that it took 10 years, how Menelaus dragged Helen by the hair back to his ship, um, how Menelaus and Helen disappeared on their way home, and everyone in, his, in Greece is sure that they've both died. Um, how Leda hanged herself in shame over the behavior of her daughter. How Helen's brothers are also dead. Um, maybe um, they might not be. It depends on who you ask. Uh, some say that they killed themselves uh, because of Helen. And some say they've become gods and now live in the stars. Um, and 
This is all quite depressing, and Tusser doesn't really want to talk about it anymore. Anyway, he's come to ask Theonoe for an oracle, um, you know, for advice on the best way to get to Cyprus, because Apollo tells him that's where he's to settle um, at the end of his exile. Um, And, you know, basically found a new Salamis there. Helen urges him to leave before Theoclymenus finds him. He hates the Greeks and will kill Teucer if he catches him. Teucer thanks her for her kindness and comments on how unlike Helen she is, despite the fact that to look at them they could be twins. He exits, and Helen laments the death of her husband, Menelaus. The chorus enters and joins Helen in her lament, including a lament for the loss of Helen's good name through no fault of her own. Helen tells the chorus all of the news that she just got from Teucer and how all of these deaths have been placed at her feet. And now Menelaus is dead too, which means she has no excuse left to fend off Theoclymenus. And she would sooner die than marry him. And she tells the chorus that she plans to kill herself to prevent the marriage. The chorus are actually pretty good consumers of news and recommend that she wait for a second source to confirm that Menelaus is dead instead of relying on a single source and, you know, killing herself based off of just the report of Teucer. Uh, Maybe she should talk to Theonoe first. Helen agrees and she and the chorus exit, um, which is one of those newish things. Usually once the chorus enters in a Greek tragedy, they are on stage until the play ends. Um, And so this is one of those examples of Euripides breaking with form, which I think helps with the more modern feel that many of his plays have when compared with his counterparts. Um, Anyway, Menelaus enters. He speaks of himself and his brother Agamemnon and how they sailed to Troy. He speaks of how they defeated the city and how he dragged Helen away. Um, And they've been trying to sail home for seven years years. But every time they get close, they get blown off course. And now he's shipwrecked and he doesn't know where he is. He's hidden Helen in a cave near the remains of his ship and she's being guarded by the other survivors of the shipwreck. He calls out to see if there's anyone inside who can help him. An old woman comes to the door and tells him that no Greeks are allowed. Uh, But Menelaus finally convinces her to at least tell him where he is. And she explains um, that the current ruler hates the Greeks because of Helen, who currently resides inside. This, of course, confuses Menelaus because he left Helen in a cave. So how is she wound up in the palace? Someone must be pretending to be Helen or... Or maybe it's just a coincidence. I mean, Helen's a common name, isn't it? Uh, I mean, Tyndarius is kind of unique, but it's possible that there are two women with the name of Helen, whose father was named Tyndarius, who come from a place called Lacada Mountain. As Menelaus is lost in his thoughts, trying to figure out how Helen could be both there and here, the chorus and Helen re-enter. They are too busy talking about what Theonoe told them to notice that there's someone else on stage. Theonoe reports that Menelaus is still alive, and this is great news. Helen speaks of her relief before she sees Menelaus. She doesn't recognize him at first. Presuming he means her harm, she starts to flee, but Menelaus calls out to her, and she stops long enough to get a good look at him. He tells her that she looks like Helen, and she tells him that he looks like Menelaus. He confirms his identity, and she throws herself at him. Menelaus pushes her her away because he knows that she's not really Helen. He left Helen in a cave. Helen explains the whole trick pulled by Hera and Hermes, and that the Helen in the cave is the phantom Helen, and that she's the real one. Then Helen realizes 
that Theoclymenus will still get his way. He'll just kill Menelaus so that he can marry Helen. Uh, Before they can address this little problem, a messenger runs on and tells Menelaus that Helen has vanished. She was there, and then she just disappeared. And then he sees the real Helen standing there, and he's confused. And honestly, this... (laughs) This is a funny little scene. Um, and and I think Jack McBrayer would be an excellent pick to play the messenger. I just I just think that he, you know, he's so guileless um, in his facial expressions that I, I just can see him saying like, oh, hello, hello, Helen. Helen's disappeared. And it's like, oh, it's nice to see you there. I mean, that's, I, for a tragedy, this play has a lot of really funny moments in it. Um Anyway, uh, so yeah, that would be <laughs> that, would, that would be my pick would be Jack McBrayer. Um, ha- a- after this, Helen and Menelaus are happily reunited, and Helen tells Menelaus pretty much everything she said in the prologue. Uh, Menelaus then reassures the messenger that everything is good now, and Helen is innocent of all of the trouble she's been accused of, and now they just need to figure out how to escape from Egypt. He tells the messenger to go and prepare the men for a hasty departure, whatever form that might take, and the messenger exits. Helen and Menelaus discuss the little problem that they don't have a ship, which is going to make it difficult to get home. They do have to cross the Mediterranean from Egypt to Greece, right? Helen urges Menelaus to flee, but he refuses to leave without her. They decide to throw themselves on the mercy of Theonoe, If she is unable to help them, Menelaus proposes a murder-suicide pact, which seems a little extreme, um, but that's what they decide to go with. Theonoe enters. She listens to their pleas and ultimately decides to keep quiet about how Menelaus has landed. Theonoe then goes back inside the palace. Helen then tells Menelaus that she has a plan. She will tell Theoclymenus that Menelaus has been lost at sea, and then she'll explain that Greek custom is to hold a sea funeral when this happens. So even if there's no body to bury, it is still customary to go through all of the rites at sea. So she kind of needs a ship um, and some stuff to toss into the sea as part of the burial. Um, And Menelaus was a king and all, so it should be some nice stuff. Now, Menelaus isn't so sure about this plan, but Helen has an answer to each one of his concerns. She then tells him to wait by the tomb while she goes inside to change into some mourning clothes. The chorus sings about the Trojan War and everyone who died. Theoclymenus enters. He's been off hunting. He's pleased to see that Helen has left her spot by the tomb, but then she enters from the palace in her mourning clothes. He asks why she's wearing black, and she explains that she is in mourning for her husband. Theonoe told her that he died. Then she introduces Menelaus as some random Greek who saw the shipwreck in which her husband was killed. And then they put her plan into action. Helen wittily convinces Theoclymenus to provide everything needed for the funeral, and then all three actors exit into the palace. The chorus then sings about Demeter and Persephone. Helen enters and announces that everything is going according to plan. Then Theoclymenus and Menelaus enter along with a train of attendants carrying everything for the funeral. Helen tells Theoclymenus that she'll be back after she's taken care of the funeral for her first husband. She handles all of the details quite skillfully, getting Theoclymenus to agree to everything they need before she, Menelaus, and the attendants exit. 
The chorus sings about a happy return to Sparta and prays for the plan to come to fruition. A different messenger runs on, calling out to Theoclymenus. The plan has gone off as hoped for, and he has to deliver the bad news that Helen has escaped. Helen, Menelaus, all of the Greeks, killed all of the Egyptian, Egyptian sailors, except for, for him, the messenger, who barely escaped with his life. Theoclymenus blames his sister for this escape and tries to go inside to kill her, but a loyal servant says, quite literally, over my dead body. But before anyone dies, the Dioscuroi enter, and they explain that this was all Zeus's plan. And now, as a reward for everything she had to put up with, Helen will become an immortal, just like them. Theoclymenus knows when he's beat, and he says that he will no longer pursue Helen or try to kill his sister. The chorus comments on how the gods always find a way to get their way, and that is the end of the play. The story is interesting. Um, we don't really know why this version of Helen's story came to be. Uh, we've already read Menelaus's story in the Odyssey, and in that version, uh, there is only one Helen, definitely. And Proteus is still alive. He's the shape-shifting, shape-shifting seal king that Menelaus fights with. Um, if you remember that story from back in, what, book four, <laughs> I think it is, of the Odyssey. Um, so what happened that led to this version with two Helens? Um, and unlike some of Euripides' other takes on mythology, this this was not his invention. He did not create this phantom Helen going off to Troy. The earliest written source we have is in Herodotus's Histories, um, which is about 30 years older than this play. Um, the myth might, you know, this version of the myth might be older than that, um, likely is. Um, I'm thinking that we'll start working our way through the ancient historians once we're done with the Greek myth series of episodes. Um, so we will get to Herodotus, um, but um, it hasn't been covered in this podcast yet, um, and it's it's going to take us a while. Herod, it's a it's a it's a tome. It's going to take us a while to work through work through that entire book. Um, anyway, the big theme that we see in this play um, is truth or or reality, um, kind of those things going hand in hand. Um, so what? what is it? What is real? Um, what is true? And I really do love that the chorus's reaction to Tucer's news is to tell Helen to check a second source. Um, one of one of my favorite news podcasts is on the media, and they always have, you know, the consumer's guide to breaking news or the consumer's guide to pandemics or the consumer's guide to fill in, fill in the blank of looking at, you know, how to how to be a good consumer of media and news. And, and of course, part of it is always, is there more than one source reporting on this or do all of the sources go back to the same place? So I'm like, they... The chorus are good consumers of the news, um, and and I, I love that. Anyway, and and as I mentioned, for a tragedy, um, it really is, it really is a pretty funny show, um, and this is where we need to remember that what we consider a tragedy comes from our definition of the word, uh, not from the ancient Greek definition of the word. So it is not unheard of for a tragedy to have comic elements or scenes or even a happy ending like. 
basically we see here, I mean, Helen gets away. She survives. Um, what makes it a tragedy is the characters and how the events unfold that lead to whatever that ending is. That could be a happy ending. Um, but re really, my favorite part of this play is Helen. I, I love... I love the fact um, that by her phantom being the one that goes to Trite gives us a very different Helen than we see in Homer. Um, she's much more sympathetic than, than, than the Helen we have seen before, um, which is fine. That's not what I love. Um, I love that she is so much cleverer, um, or that sounds wrong, too many errs. Um, <laughs> she's smarter. She's the brain. She's the brains of the outfit. Um, Menelaus would have been lost without her. But while I love how witty she is, by having a phantom go to Troy, um, at the same time, Helen is flattened. Uh, since she is wholly innocent of the whole Paris plot, um, she somehow winds up being a character who simultaneously has no agency and... Um, and yet takes charge of her future. Um, and I, and I don't know, maybe that's what I like about the play. Helen has no control over how she wound up in Egypt. Um, she has no control over her reputation. But as soon as she is in a position to help herself, she takes charge and proves herself to be far stronger than the Helen that we see in other sources, or even the Helen that we see at the beginning of the play. Um, so I... I mean, so we see some sort of evolution and growth of the character of Helen within the play, which, you know, makes makes her in some ways more interesting than the Helen that we see in the Iliad or the Odyssey, um, or even the Helen that we see in Euripides' Trojan Women, um, who, as far as I can tell in that play... <laughs> is the real Helen, that there is not a phantom Helen in that play. I could be wrong, but like I said, we see Euripides kind of uses both versions of her story in his plays. So what do you think of Helen? Um, what does this play tell us about war? I, I made an offhand reference comment about that, but um, that's still a timely topic. Why did the Greeks go to war against Troy? So if Helen was a phantom, was the reason they went to war even real? Um, are there any wars today that that reminds you of? <laughs> I'd love to hear your thoughts on these serious topics or, you know, something lighter like your Dreamcast. I've cast Jack McBrayer. <laughs> who else would you add? Um, or is there someone else who'd be great for the messenger? There might be. Uh, pop over to the blog and share your thoughts. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. Uh, you can also find the link to my Patreon in the show notes. Uh, Patreon patrons get to hear this episode early, uh, ad-free, and all other episodes early and ad-free. Um, more stuff coming if you join at a higher tier. On Wednesday, we will read book 20 of the Odyssey. We're closing in on, on, on the end of the Odyssey. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.